0: you're listening to audio from trinity west seattle for other resources more information about this sermon series or to connect with us visit our website www.trinityws.com i'm going to pray as we get started here today father god uh, we thank you for these words that we've just heard read and we pray that your word today would be a place that we find uh, peace, uh, that we find uh, joy, and ultimately that we find your love for us. And we pray that your love for us would today change us to love more like you love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we follow Jesus, we remember that he said the two most important commandments are you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And so love is at the very center of what it means to follow Jesus, so much so that he commanded us to even love those who are hard to love. I know that's not the best news that you've heard today. <laughs> he even commanded us to love our enemies. But as we think about it in terms of discipleship, which is what we're doing, how do we learn to love? That's the question that we want to address today. How do we learn to love? In, in other words, what are the, what's the means of learning to love? Well, I want to answer that question actually with a couple of stories, a few different stories and, and illustrations. The first is, a number of months ago, I was getting some lunch with my friend Mike, and we were actually just getting together to talk about discipleship. He he wanted to talk through some stuff on discipleship, and he was telling me how as a new Christian, when he was around 20 all the way up until his 30s, he had a relationship with someone who walked with him, and not just walked with him, but walked with him through thick and through thin, someone that he knew, loved him no matter what. Now, Mike told me that having that experience, having someone who he knew had his back, no matter what, someone who even when he failed, even when he sinned against them, would welcome him back into that relationship, really taught him how to love. It taught him how to follow Jesus as he grew and grew over the course of many years. And that experience, he says, still shapes who he is today, but also how he walks with other people and invests in them as they grow in Jesus today. So if I were to explain it or or try and pull away from that story, what can we take away from it? We learn how to love by receiving love and really, in some ways, receiving God's love through His people, the church—that's that's what I just the story I just told you—that's what that is really an illustration of. But we also learn how to love through loving people who are hard to love. And as we think about that, uh, I, I guess I need to pull away from that for a second and say. We, it's easy for us to point a finger and to say, man, those people over there are really hard to love. But we have to remember before we ever say anything about that, that ultimately we are hard to love. And we're going to dig into that in much more detail in a little while. But but I just want to say that and in, in introduce that idea that we are people who are hard to love. And, and it means all the more when someone else chooses to love us despite the fact that we are hard to love but we're not the only ones who are hard to love all people in some way are hard to love at different times whether that's because of them or because of our own selfish desires i've had the opportunity and the privilege to walk with other people who have been very difficult for me to love and yeah sometimes it was because of my own heart But a lot of instances are times where I've walked with people who in their own brokenness and sin, they've turned against me. They've lashed out at me despite my efforts to gently and lovingly walk with them. They've harmed me in the process through anger, through insults. And and being able to seek to still love them like Christ loves me, in those moments, it's taught me how to love. Maybe, maybe you've gotten the opportunity to walk with people who are hard to love. Maybe you've walked with people in addiction. Maybe you're a person who's walked through addiction or walking through addiction, and there are people around you who are loving you. I've heard stories of that recently even in our own church. It's also hard to love those who we disagree with, amen? whether that's inside or outside of the church. People, uh, I often hear people who are inside the church talk about all of those people who are outside the church who are so hard to love. People talk about Seattle that way uh, oftentimes. We're we called to love those who are like us, but also to, to love those who are not like us, and that is a challenge. Sometimes the hardest people to love are those who we have the highest expectations on. Uh, the, the stakes are so high in these kinds of relationships that it makes it the most challenging to love. We, we expect the most out of these kinds of people. Think of, think of like your closest friends. Think of uh, family members. Think of your parents, for example. I've talked to a lot of people who've shared with me how it's hard to love their parents. Or your spouse, right? Marriage is one of the greatest challenges when it comes to love. Or those who cost us the most on an ongoing basis, right? Parents, children. Children can be hard to love because it's so expensive to love them. Now, I'm not ta- talking about money, but, but the, the overall relational costs. And so all these relationships, all these familial relationships, all these things can be wonderful and amazing, and they could be the greatest place of joy in our life. And yet at the same time, we have to just acknowledge that these relationships cost us and challenge us the most. Last little story, uh, I was reminded of this this week because uh, of of the way in which I learned how to love through my father. My father died uh, four years ago. Actually, the anniversary of it was this week. And as I look back on my relationship with him and my upbringing, one of the things that stands out the most to me is how he taught me how to love like Jesus loves. And he didn't do it perfectly. He, isn't, he wasn't Jesus incarnate, okay? He, he didn't do that flawlessly, but he showed me what the love of God, what the love of Jesus is truly like. And he taught me this through just a million little tiny moments of sharing life together with me. Whether it was when I was a little kid and it was sacrificing his time just to throw the ball with me. That was showing me love. Or as I got older, as a teenager especially, and I became uh, even harder for him to love. (laughs) I'll just say it that way. When I was cruel to him as a a teenager, when I was uh, lashing out at him and angry with him, the forbearance that he showed me, the patience that he had with me. My father taught me how to love. And he taught me how to love by loving me. And so to answer that question again, how do we learn to love? We learn to love by being loved. But we also learn how to love by loving. And the same is true for how we relate to Jesus, because Jesus is the source of love, as we'll look at in a moment. And so the more that we spend time with him and experience his love, we become more like him, and we live more like him, and we're able to love like he loves. Okay, so that's how we learn uh, to love. But what exactly are we talking about? Some of you might have been wondering this the whole time. Like, Love could be defined in so many different ways. You ask anybody, and they're going to have a different definition of it. So what is love? What is love? And uh, I can't say those three words in a row without getting that 90s dance tune stuck in my head. Anybody? I was saying this earlier, and everybody agreed with me. So I, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, what is love? Yeah. Baby, don't hurt me. Okay. Uh, So let's get that out of the way. What is love? And we have to really answer this question because we use this word so flippantly in our culture, don't we? We could say, I love ice cream, when really what we mean is I really like ice cream, at least I hope we don't love it, right? Uh, I, I like fishing or something, or I like the Sounders. When really, sorry, I love the Sounders, I love fishing. What we really should be saying is I like the Sounders or I like fishing. So we're not talking about those kinds of love the way that we would relate to ice cream, fishing, and the Sounders. What do we mean when we talk about Christian love? And that's the next question that we're going to answer. And we're going to answer it with scripture. I'd encourage you to open up a Bible if you didn't bring one. There's one in the pew back in front of you. We're going to be looking at 1 John and chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of those, take it home. It's a gift from us. We'd love for you to have a Bible. And this book, 1 uh, John, it was a letter that was written by the Apostle John, and John was one of Jesus' closest friends. He was part of Jesus' inner circle, so Jesus had 12 disciples, but there were three of them that were closer to Jesus than any of the others. It was Peter, James, and of course, John. John was one of those. He and his brother James, before they met Jesus, they had a nickname. You might be familiar with it. They were called The sons of thunder, which sometimes is translated as the sons of rage. When you read this, you'll be like, what? That does not seem like the same guy. (laughs) Think about that. Rage. He was called a son of rage before he met Jesus. That means that he was known for his anger, his uncontrollable anger, and possibly even being violent. But after spending several years in Jesus' presence, walking with Jesus, learning from Jesus, John was given a new nickname. Some of you might know this one as well. He's called the Apostle of Love. And so when you follow Jesus, you become more like him. The more that you're loved by Jesus, the more that you love like him, as John learned and so as we look at this passage, uh, I also want to mention that in your workbooks, in page 35, we have this scripture laid out there with the with, uh, sermon notes and all that. You can underline or circle things that we learn about love from this passage. I'm going to highlight three things that I see that we learn from love in this passage. The first one is, love is from God and God is love. This was in verses 7 and 8. I'm going to reread that. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Love is from God, and God is love. And why this is important is if we want to actually know what love is, we have to go to Him. We live in a culture of relativism where anyone can define anything for themselves. Well, that's your love. That's what you consider to be love. That would be a pretty normal way of viewing it. But what this is telling us is that God is the source of love. And if you want to understand what love truly is, you have to go to Him. You can't just fabricate it. You can't just make up your own definition. What love is becomes even clearer as we look at the next verse. And this is the second uh, thing that we learn about love from this passage, and that's number two, God loves us. This was in verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God loves us. God loves us. Never, ever get tired of, of hearing that truth. Never get numb to that truth. Some of you are hearing that truth today and you're going, oh, okay, but how do we, how do we know it for sure? How do I know Absolutely, that God loves me, that God loves us, not in some abstract truth kind of sense, but in a way that's tangible, in a way that is personal. How do I know the love of God? And the key word is manifest. Did you see that word, manifest? And this, the love of God, was made manifest among us. This word, manifest could be translated a lot of different ways. It could be translated as revealed, as shown, or or tangible, as known to us. And so this is showing us that God's love is not an abstract truth, but it's something that was made tangible, something that we could actually experience, something that was made known to us and shown to us in a very practical way, kind of like in the way that light shines and illuminates something. It shows it to you in a clearer way. And this is saying that God's love was shown to us when he sent his son into the world to die for our sins. We were his enemies, the Bible says. All of humanity, every one of us, God's enemies, not because God was against us, but because we were against him, because we were rebels and we had rejected his love and relationship with him. What did God do? He sent his son to die for us. He loved us, friends, people who are hard to love. And as I share those truths with you, I'm hoping that for some of you that's really ministering to you today. Because we do. We forget God's love for us. We doubt God's love for us. We live as though it is just an abstract truth. But as we were told here in other scripture, because of what Jesus has done for us, we never have to doubt it again. Now nothing can separate us from God's love. And so hear this clearly today, no matter what your sins are, no matter what your faults are, your failures, your fears, your shortcomings, no matter what you, are, uh, what, what you feel insecure about in yourself, God loves you, and you never have to doubt it. He proved it on the cross. He made it tangible. Now, for others of you, you might be hearing this and you're not feeling necessarily ministered to. You're kind of troubled by the fact that a lot of this was written in the past tense. You're going, yeah, it's great that God loved us then, that His love was shown, but it's all past tense. How do we know that He loves us Today. Well, this passage is actually telling us that God's love is not just a one-and-done thing. It wasn't just this one-time event that happened on the cross, but it's something that continues to today. And, and the key word here is propitiation. Verse 10. Now, that is a big word, and it's kind of a strange word. We don't use this word in any common vernacular. In fact, I'm guessing none of you have ever said that word in a conversation with someone (laughs) or had anyone say it to you. What does it mean? It means to win or regain the favor of a person by doing something that pleases them. It's almost like a peace offering. In other words, as God's enemies... As those who had rejected God, we deserved his punishment, and rightly so. Rightly so. We we forsook him in our sin. But in love, Jesus didn't just die. He died in our place for our sins, and this pleased the Father. Our sins were atoned for, which means they were removed, and God was propitiated, which means because of Jesus' sacrifice for us, now all that we are left with, Christian, is God's love. That's all that he has left for us. This is why John goes on to say in verse 18 that we don't have to have any fear of punishment. God is not going to punish you for your sins. Jesus took the punishment that you deserve. And we can only experience his love for us when we give God those sins. When we let go of them, when we forsake our sins, we return to and experience the love of God. We can only know the love of God when we surrender everything in order to follow Jesus. And here's what's so great about this. He doesn't only give us His love. And he doesn't only give us his love in perpetuity, he does, he does those things, but he also gives us his love to share. Number three, God loves through us. This was verses 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. We are to love others as God has loved us in Christ. The way I like to talk about this is we're, our love should be cross-shaped. And what I don't mean is that we have to now go and atone for people's sins, okay? The Bible says that Jesus' sacrifice was once for all. It's the last atoning sacrifice. That's not what I mean. What I do mean is our love should be cross-shaped in the sense that we should sacrificially seek the greatest good of others. This is loving service. This is loving service. Just as it's said that Jesus was sent to us to love us, it's saying that we are sent to others, to the world, to love them. Here's the crazy thing, though. God certainly shows us His love uh, every single day, in ways that this is not referring to or describing i 'll give you some examples. God gives us breath, right? If you can take a deep breath right now, that was from God. God gives us life, and so we get to experience His love by simply being able to breathe. The Bible also teaches that God shows His love to us and that He provides for us that He opens his hand. And gives food to every living thing, the Bible says. That he gives us food and he gives us water. And, but on top of that, he gives us grace. And again, he didn't just give it to us one time. He gives it to us over and over and over. For every day that we have faults, failures, and fears, he gives us new grace. And so God certainly shows us his love every single day. And we experience that ultimately from his hand. But we are also meant to experience God's love tangibly through the love of fellow Christians. Through one another. The world is meant to experience God's love through Christians. Did you see that? Did you see how it said that? In verse 12, it said that his love is perfected in us. And now this word perfect might throw us off a little bit because we tend to think of that as flawless, as making no mistakes, as being perfect and sinless, right? It, it, is God saying then that this is all riding on us, that if his love is going to be experienced by people that we have to love perfectly? No, thank, thank God, <laughs> because we can all acknowledge that we will fail if that's the case. The word here translated as perfected, it literally means completed. It means whole or finished or brought to its final destination. And so God's love reaches its goal when we love others. God's love is given to us and then it is given through us. This is made even clearer at the beginning of verse 12. John said, no one has ever seen God. Did you see that? Now, why in the world, in the middle of all this other stuff, is John talking about whether people have seen God? Isn't this a diversion from all the other things that he's been saying? His point is, no one has ever seen the living God, God The Father, because He's a spirit, the Bible teaches us, He's he's not visible. And so John is saying that the way that people experience Him, the way that they encounter Him and and see Him is when His love is perfected in us, when it's experienced through us. Isn't that amazing? You ever think about that, church? It's incredible. It's, It's not only... A blessing and a privilege, but it's also a wonderful weight. God's love is experienced in the world through his people. And so I asked that question what is love? And the answer is love is sacrificially giving yourself for the good of another. That's what we see in God's love being made manifest in Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. So God is love, so we receive God's love, and we give God's love to others. And there's this great story that uh, Jesus tells that really illustrates this sort of thing uh, of what it looks like to live sacrificially, to sacrificially give ourselves for the good of another. This story takes place in Luke's gospel. I think it's in chapter 10. And it begins with this lawyer coming to Jesus to dupe him. So he, he's actually coming to Jesus to try and throw Jesus off. It says to test him. Now, this is not a lawyer like we think of, because we could probably imagine a lawyer trying to do that, right, today. We think of lawyers in that sense. But this is, this is a different kind of a lawyer. This is one of the religious leaders in Israel. These were the guys who spent all their time hanging out and splitting hairs over the finer points of the Old Testament instructions that God had given. Those were also known as the laws. That's why these guys were called lawyers. Lawyers. And they did this because they actually believed that this was the true way to show that they loved God. But ironically, in the process, they had stopped loving God because their religion had become nothing more to them than just a system to be mastered rather than a relationship to be enjoyed. And we know that the same thing can happen to us as Christians, right? In Christianity today, we can get derailed from experiencing the love of God. And we can get derailed from what it even means to, to multiply disciples by getting hung up on these kinds of things, the system to be mastered. And so this lawyer guy, he comes to Jesus to test him, and he, and he, and he wants to see if Jesus is as good at splitting hairs in a religious system as he is, basically. And so he asks Jesus a question He says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And in a typical Jesus fashion, Jesus doesn't answer his question. He responds to his question with a question. And he says, well, why don't you tell me? What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he's asking the lawyer to go to back to the Bible to answer his own question. And the lawyer says, well, it says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Which Jesus affirms. He's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely, that's, that's it. But the guy doesn't like this answer because he doesn't actually love God and he doesn't want to have to love everyone. He would only like to love the people who are easiest for him to love. And so he goes to Jesus and he says, okay, okay, it says I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but who's my neighbor? In other words, who's not my neighbor so that I don't have to love them? <laughs> That's what he's asking. So he's essentially saying, Jesus, what about those people who are hard to love? What about those who aren't like me, Jesus? What about people who are an inconvenience to my life? What about that annoying guy at work who won't stop bugging me? Jesus, what about those, those people who are addicted and they're difficult to walk with? What about them? Jesus, what about mentally ill people? Jesus, what about my parents? Have you met them? Or, or how about this? Jesus, what about those people who believe different things than I do? What about the maskers, Jesus? What about the anti-maskers? What about the vaxxers? And what about the anti-vaxxers? Jesus, are they my neighbor too? Do I have to love them as well? And so in typical Jesus fashion, he doesn't answer the guy's question. He tells him a story. He answers with a parable, which is really, it's a story with a spiritual lesson. And the story is probably familiar to many of you. It goes something like this. There's a guy who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And this is about a 15 to 18 mile journey on foot. It's a long, it's a long hike. And along the way, some robbers ambush him. They steal his stuff. They strip him of what was very valuable to him, his clothes. They beat him and they leave him for dead. And Jesus is starting this story this way because he wants us to ask ourselves the question, what would I do if I encountered him? Maybe you've been in a similar kind of scenario. You've seen a person who's in need. What did you do? Jesus says that there's three different people who encountered this guy. One was a priest. So this is basically like an elder in the church, like me and and your other elders. This is a guy that you would definitely expect would love the man who had been left for dead, but he doesn't. He doesn't. He actually goes around on the other side of the road so he doesn't have to get too close to him. I'll call that a love fail, okay? Okay. The next guy was a Levite. This is basically like a deacon in the church. This is an assistant to the priests. What did he do when he saw this poor guy dying on the side of the road? Well, he went around and went to the other side too. Why? Why? Why did he not go and help this guy? The answer isn't given. Was he too busy? Was it just an inconvenience to him? Was he too good for the helpless man on the ground? Did he not want to, you know, get his hands dirty? Because that would have been a dirty job. Why wouldn't he stop? Jesus, he never tells us. And in some ways, it really doesn't matter why. The point is that he didn't do it. He didn't stop. And in the same way, we can all find the same sorts of excuses and reasons to avoid loving those who are hard to love. But there's a third person who encounters the man on the side of the road. And it's, it's a man that you've, you might have heard of before if you've heard this story, and that's the Samaritan. Samaritan. And it's really hard to find a modern day parallel to what the Samaritans represented in the ears of Jesus' hearers as he was telling this story. But maybe the closest example, or the closest way to understand it is to think of the person or the people group, even better, the people group who you understand the least. The person or the people group whom you perhaps dislike the most I know based on our current state of our country that there are people who are coming to mind for you right now because we are polarized like we never have been. These people would be somebody that you might even say you hate the most. The Jews hated Samaritans. See, the Samaritans, they had intermarried with other people of other ethnicities, so there was a bit of a racial. Uh, war going on here, but the Samaritans also didn't practice their faith according to the scriptures, and so there was also a religious battle that was going on. And so these people were people who actually lived closer to Jerusalem than Canada is to us today, but who in the mind of the Jews were the worst people ever. And so a Samaritan could be anyone who you can think of who's different from you, who comes from a different political perspective than you, someone who comes from a different religious perspective than you, someone who has different social views or from a different subculture than you, anyone who you can't possibly imagine thinking positively of, anyone who you think you are morally superior to, that is the Samaritan. What does he do? What does he do when he comes across this man who's naked, who's destitute, man who's literally on the verge of death. Well, Jesus says he has compassion. He has compassion. And so he says to the hurt man, he comes over and he says, God loves you, and then he leaves. He goes away. Just kidding, by the way. That's not how it goes. Okay, just trying to keep you awake here. He does not tell the man that God loves him and then walk away. No, he, he actually sacrificially gives himself for this man's good. He binds up the hurt man's wounds. He sets him, it says, on his own animal, the modern day version, sets him in his own car, right? Right? All the blood, all the filth, all of it, just he takes the guy in and then he brings him what's essentially to something that's somewhere between a hotel and a hospital. He brings him to a place where this man can be taken care of and and he gives them his own insurance card and his own HSA card, you know, to cover any additional expenses and he makes sure that this guy is going to be taken care of. And Jesus concludes the story by asking the lawyer, he says, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer answered instantly, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus tells him, go and do likewise. The point is, Loving like God loves is indiscriminate. Everyone is our neighbor when you become a neighbor to those who you encounter, even your enemies. Loving like God loves crosses every barrier that we are used to, every barrier that we are told exists, even when it sometimes doesn't, (laughs) culture Class, country, color, all the barriers that you might see in between you and another person get torn down when you love like God loves and you become a neighbor to everyone. Jesus is saying that the road to eternal life, that the journey of being His disciples is paved with compassion, mercy, And sacrificial service, just like in this story. Loving as he has loved us. Because if we're honest, friends, we were the man on the road. In our sin, we were beaten up. We were stripped of our dignity. We were left for dead. We were helplessly waiting for someone to come and rescue us, someone to come and save us. And Jesus is the good Samaritan who comes and sacrificially gets his hands dirty. Jesus comes to serve us, to heal us, to save us, and to love us. And now he invites us to not only receive that love, but to share his love with others. And I want to conclude, church, just by encouraging you we're a church that isn't perfect. Not until we see Jesus face-to-face are we going to do this perfectly. But we are also a church that loves and loves well. I've I've been here for 18 months now, and I've been so encouraged to see how people have walked with one another through really difficult circumstances. How people have simply gone and helped others uh, work on stuff in their house, for example, but also how people have walked with those in addiction, as I've referred to earlier in the message. I've seen how our church, when we give opportunity to go out and to serve the community together, people jump at that opportunity. People are eager to do it. I've seen how people come every Sunday or every other Sunday or how often they're on the rotation and come and serve our, our kids by uh, teaching them and and helping out downstairs. I've seen people come in the worship ministry and in the hospitality teams, come and bless our church by serving our church on Sundays. I've seen people who have forgiven when others have sinned against them. Church, I want to encourage you. You are a people who I've observed this kind of love through. I've experienced it myself when I've been hard to love. Thank you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, thank you, thank you for what you have done for us in Jesus in sending him so that we didn't have to wonder, we didn't have to question whether or not you truly loved us, but you showed it to us. You made it real. You made it tangible. You made it undeniable. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us, those who were your enemies, those who are so hard to love, being so patient with us, being so merciful to us, and inviting us to that same kind of relationship with others. God, we do need your help Help fill us with your love so much that it flows out of us, that pours out of us into the relationships that we have. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.